Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Citizens Podcast. Uh, my name is Gray. I'm joined as ever by Josh. Good afternoon, Josh. Good afternoon, Gray. And we are for once joined. It's been a bit. It's been a bit since we had an actual guest on here. Um, and today we have brought in uh, the one and only Richard Burns from the Blue Moon Podcast. Richard, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, thank and you. We had Good. you on ages ago at some point. And I know yeah. this. I know this because you were in my Skype contacts. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 wonderful to have you back, and it's wonderful at this very, most pivotal point of the season to have on um, someone from over there who can add some some context to to what we're watching and what we're seeing here, um, especially in the immediate aftermath of Manchester Derby. Um, uh, I hate these games. <laughs> I loathe them. I, they're fun once you win them, but I find the lead up to them to be torture, and I find watching them unless it's a comfortable lead to be torture, especially if there's something on the line. Um, kind of a strange game because the first half City did not look like City whatsoever, um, and then the second half they very much looked like City. And I think expectations were raised a bit by the fact that United were coming off that Everton game, which there's two ways that can go. One, they can sort of stand up and try to put up some fight and prove that that's not who we are. Or they can roll over. And they kind of did one in one half and one in the other. Um, <laughs> Richard, I'm kind of curious because I want to start here. I want to start in the first half um, and we'll kind of go chronologically. But I'm trying to figure out the, the first half, I think we can agree, was rather poor from City's standpoint. They got into it toward the end, but for much of the first half, there were a lot of misplaced passes. Um, they didn't really look comfortable on the ball. And I'm wondering if you see that as something that United were doing that were getting them off their game, or if City just sort of came out flat by their own volition and it just wasn't working for them, because we've seen both at times, um, or a combination of both. Um, so I guess... I might to start this I would I would say you know what exactly would you diagnose from that first half that was the issue with that first half because it was kind of underwhelming um in the grand scheme of things by city's high standards yeah I I think there was probably an element of um I think underwhelming is is a good word for it I think city <laughs> certainly certainly weren't at their best um and I think there was an element of that was caused by United up in their, um, if not necessarily their quality, up in their tempo significantly from where they've been in recent weeks. Um, I think that was probably inspired, as you sort of alluded to, the, after the disgrace of their Everton defeat, it could have gone either way. Um, I think they came out with at least trying to show their fans that they were up for it and that they cared, which were obviously all the noises that they were making before the game. Um but in reality, when you look back, I mean, during that period, during that first half, I was incredibly tense. Every time Rashford tried running off the back of, uh, off the back of company in Laporte, I, I thought it looked like we were in trouble. But then, in the cold light of day, when you look back at it, United didn't have a shot on target after the six minute. So it's when you look at the cold hard facts of it: were we ever really in trouble? Were, were City struggling so much, or did just the tension of it maybe? make me feel like they were struggling more than they actually were. Um, but certainly in the, you know, the, the front end of the pitch, 
the passes were going astray. They were a little bit sloppy. Bernardo, I think, was particularly guilty of that. Um, as I'm sure we'll talk about, he more than made amends, but he didn't have the greatest first half. And City, the one thing that you can only bank on them doing is being good in possession. I think United did a great job of shutting off the wide spaces. Um, I thought we really struggled in that first half to get Raheem Sterling into it. Um not through really any fault of his own. Um, just United in those those deep, wide positions were... They were very, very good at closing off space. Um, and they pressed City a lot higher up, I thought, than most teams do. And I think when teams do that, it does present City with a bit of a problem. I remember last year, uh, the, I suppose, now sort of infamous last-minute winner against Southampton at home. Southampton really did a number on City in that game um, in in how they pressed, uh, if I remember rightly. They, they, they press, in fact, it might have been West Ham the game after who pressed very high up. Either way, I think City, when teams do that, when they, they start pressing as far up as Edison um, and then press the defenders who are there to create space when Edison does his composed passing, um, it's, there's not always an easy way out of it. Um, and I, I just thought United, their work rate was very impressive. But the reality is their the quality wasn't really there. And the most worried that I was in the whole game was when they got the free kick. I don't know what was gone, maybe an hour or so, yep. when City were already 1-0 up. I know, and exactly at that, which one you mean. Yeah, I thought that's a, it was a really dangerous position. And then obviously Pogba put it straight into the wall. He didn't do much with it. But um, like from open play, in reality reflecting on it, City were never really troubled. It was only ever a case of, are they going to break through? And we know that it's very rare that City don't score. And it's very rare these days that United keep a clean sheet. They were in dreadful form. Before that, they were on six defeats in eight. There's um, teams in the relegation zone. There's teams that are already relegated that are being embarrassed by that kind of form. Um, And you'd expect City to turn them over home or away. So... Yeah, I think there was a mixture of United's tempo definitely stifled City for a bit. Um, but do you? I'm curious because I've been listening yeah. to this. Do you think that that happens because City do not often face that press? Do you think it's it's a situation whereby? you're put off because you don't see it that often teams aren't just aren't that bold they're they're a lot of teams even aren't that presumptuous you could say like we're not going to presume that we could even pull that off without surrendering a goal therefore we're not even going to try it but a team like united a team like liverpool they obviously don't care they will try it. Do, do, so do you think that the that having trouble when they get pressed high up by the pitch is by virtue of the fact that it just doesn't happen to them that often? Uh, yeah, I, I would I would think that that's a large part of it. Um, you know, practice makes perfect and they don't get that much chance to practice having to do it on a match day. Um, and then when you look at the teams that do do it, obviously Liverpool most notable, I suppose, and they've had some success by doing it. Tottenham, I think, have an element of that about them, and uh, although City's recent record against them is pretty good, obviously we've had a, a very difficult couple of games against them recently, and Pochettino was the first manager to beat Pep City, so I think it's definitely not our preferred style to play against, um, if it's done well, because then Liverpool and Tottenham, I think, can do it better than United can because they've got better personnel and 
if they do win the ball off you high up, they're more likely to punish you than Rashford or Jesse Lingard are, Lingard are, for example. But then, in turn, United can do it a lot better than some of the other teams in the division can. So in that sort of hierarchy, there's only... It's not even a handful of teams that can really put City under that kind of pressure effectively. Other teams can try and do it and will just get played around and then City, once they're into the midfield, City will absolutely tear them apart and get wide. I think United managed to combine that high press early on with blocking out the wide positions and it meant that although they might not have been winning the ball that high up, the fact that they had the presence there meant that City had to be a bit more cautious and I think just made for a bit of a slower tempo and then it was getting a bit frustrating when they were losing the ball. Um, But the good thing is, in terms of keeping your nerve in a title running, if you sort of stretch that point a little bit, they were patient and saw the way through. And although we've still got difficult games left, none of the teams that we've still got to play are on paper as good as Tottenham or United. And we saw our way through both of those games in different circumstances. One, we scored early and then had to hold our nerve. One, we didn't score until the second half and had to be patient. Um, and we've, we've been tested against two, OK, one drastically out of form, but on the face of it, two fairly decent teams there and come through them, which is very, very encouraging. Mm. You, they're still United are still a top six team, for better or worse. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the effective the point that you make about pressing effectively as opposed to just pressing I think is an important one I think it's a reason that a lot more teams don't do it another reason that a lot more teams don't do it is that if you don't do that regularly first of all you're not going to be very good at it you can't just you can't just wake up one week and decide we're going to press this week and can count on yourself being effective at it and secondly if you if you try to do that it's going to tire you out. And I actually thought that happened to United toward the end of the first half. They just started to look like they were losing a bit of steam. And Solskjaer has gone on and on about fitness and fitness in that team and how, how important it is and how they don't really have it. And I think that's what that also started to manifest itself. Second half, City came out, played their game. United didn't look like they could put up much resistance. Like, like, um, like Richard said, that free kick at the edge of the box was the only time I was really scared largely because it looked almost identical to the one that Milivojevic scored from for Crystal Palace a couple weeks ago. Um, but the, I, looking back on it, you, know, you look at like the expected goal figures and whatnot, they, there was no threat. Lingard's chance was um, at the back post basically immediately after the first goal. It was the only really good chance they had and scuffed it badly, and that was really it. Um I will move on to, 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 to point two here, and it's it's a, it's a question that I honestly didn't didn't think I'd be asking at the start of the season, or even really in like December. And there's an argument to be had here, and I'm and um I could even have that argument with myself and play devil's advocate, but it's not it's an open-ended question. And Richard, I'll start with you before asking the same of Josh. Has Bernardo Silva somehow become Manchester City's most important player, first name on the team sheet type thing? Has, has he ascended to that status at this point? Uh, yes, I think so. Along with Raheem Sterling, I mm-hmm. would say. Um, yeah, he's, he's had a great season. Um, I think right from, right from pre-season, um, when Pep asked him to come back early, uh, he, he did that and he wasn't at you know I think the point that Pep made at the start of the season was that he wasn't um, 
it wasn't mandatory. He didn't have to come back early, but it was sort of suggested that it might be a good idea after the World Cup um, just to get training with the, the team again as early as possible. And he did it. He went and met them, and I think it was in New York. Um, and he's, he's absolutely never looked back. I think the way... There's a, there's a lot to be said about Silva, just apart from his quality. The way that his teammates talk about him, the way that you see him interacting with them in any sort of behind-the-scenes stuff that City release, the way that Pep talks about him is... Um, it's almost really heartwarming. Like Pep's clearly sort of quite infatuated with, with having Bernardo Silva in his squad. I mean, last year when he wasn't getting so many games, Pep said, as long as I am here, Bernardo Silva will be here. He's going to be so important. And obviously this season that has really come to pass. And it's been, you know, he scored the opening goal of the season at Arsenal and he's, he's not looked back in, in terms of importance since then. He's just been magnificent. He's great. He's good out wide. Um, he will. He's good in the middle, and I'm sure as David Silva sees less and less game time, I'm sure Bernardo will sort of take up that mantle because uh, he, he can do it. He's got great passing, great vision. Uh, all he really needs to add is a few more goals, and he's not exactly a slouch in that regard. I think he's on 13 for the season, which is um, it's not terrible, but it, it can obviously be be added to. He's just his work rate is absolutely insane. Um, he, he's obviously running on something different to to everybody else. It's like he it's like he changes batteries at half time or something and gets a fresh set. He's, he's unreal, um, and he's got the probably the best first touch I've ever seen. It's like it's like the ball is Velcro and his foot is also Velcro. He just sticks to it perfectly every time. Um, just a magician of a player. And it must be great as a teammate to know that you've got somebody who's going to have you back on the pitch like that and who's going to produce quality when you need it. And he's just he's just absolutely fantastic. And on a, on a personal note, um, I was in Manchester on uh, on Monday. I'd been out for lunch with my fiancé and his sister. And we turned out of the, uh, like the restaurant that we'd had lunch in and onto the street. And Bernardo was just walking up it. And I saw him shaking hands with someone and I thought, I recognised that guy, and then it was like he came close. I was like, "Oh my god, it's Bernardo Silva!" And um, although I know this is really bad form to do to a famous person in the street, I couldn't help but very apologetically ask if he would mind having a photo. And he could not have been more accommodating. Like the poor guy was obviously just trying to get on with his day. And as after the photo was taken, um, I gave him a very shrewd tactical talk. Um, I said, "Do the business on Wednesday," and he did. So I'm taking credit for that. You've earned the right. Yeah, I, I think... I did see that picture you posted. It on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that Pep would have said anything more incisive in the dressing room than, <laughs> than do the business. Yeah, so uh, I kind of feel like you should be given man of the match. <laughs> I, I, I would accept just being put on the payroll for one week. Right. Or even if they could pay for that lunch on expenses, I'd be quite happy with that. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, to the question, um, yeah, I, I can't really, and I, and I won't belabor the point um, because Richard touched on pretty much everything, but I, I think Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling are your two. Like, this guy needs to be on the team sheet. I will I will say one thing. I, I, I truly feel like Bernardo Silva is better through the middle than out wide, though that's not to say he's bad out wide. Um, <clears throat> I just feel like 
he was born to be a creative midfield player. Like the whole reason City went and got him is that he is the he is and and, and you you know we talk about the future. The future is now. David Silva's not having his finest year. Uh, age does appear to be catching up with, or maybe he's just having a bad year. Well, I mean, it's difficult to say. Some people like to assume that when a ha- when an old person has a bad year, it's because they're old. It's it's not that they could just be having a bad year, you know. Like, but no, it's because they're old. Um, so uh, I I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll see with David Silva, but we know that on uh, on his side. He is getting towards the end of his run. Um, and, and, and right now, honestly, I would put Bernardo – if De Bruyne were available, I would put Bernardo out there ahead of David Silva. <clears throat> um, though I suppose I answered that when I said he and Sterling were were first name or, uh, kind of guys. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just – David Silva's played, played, played a lot of football in the last couple of years. Yeah, and a with Debrina down and David Silva not having a great year, it does make me worry a bit going forward. Mm. I will say, to his credit, I thought I thought David Silva had his best game in, in a while against United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, he yeah. was he much totally more influential did. than he had been in, in the last few weeks or months, I guess. When you know there were people who were when De Bruyne was fit, they were saying you know that's that's the guy who who might have to slip to the bench because I also feel you know that that Bernardo Silva is ultimately going to be a central player. Um, in you know when all is said and done, last year he didn't play a ton. He got more, got more involved toward the latter half of the season, but um, you had that that foursome of of David Silva, De Bruyne. Um, Sterling and Sané that were basically guaranteed starters every time they were fit enough to start, um, and it didn't really leave him a place. This year he took his opportunity because you know, the World Cup made it so that some people um, weren't quite fully fit to start the season, not to mention the fact that Sané seems to go in and out of Pep's doghouse every couple weeks. Um and and he gave him a shot on the wing, and he's been much better than I honestly thought he would be because I thought, you know, he's good enough to play there, but I don't know if he can be as influential as he can be playing on the wing, but he has certainly proven me wrong. Um, even if I still think his ultimate destination in the long term is going to be as a as a more central player. Um, I guess... I guess um, the other thing I would add is to, you know, Richard said his, his goal return could, could continue to improve. That's correct. But I would also say that, that you know, for, for all the complaints about Luke Shaw backing off him or giving him too much space to shoot, uh, not an easy finish on that opening goal. And tucked it in basically, and I know De Gea is in terrible form right now, but he tucked it in basically to the only place that, that, that could have gone in on that side of the goal really nice, really nicely. And so much more incisive in the second half. And I would say that to, to, to the question, it really proves the point about how, um, how, how influential Bernardo Silva is when he was really off his game in that first half, and so were City, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, 
So, yeah, I guess we're in agreement. The only other name I would add to this that hasn't been mentioned is Ederson, but he's the goalkeeper and he's always going to be on the team sheet. But I think he's he's one of those... I gotta players. be honest, dude. I, I, I Ederson's not doing anything... Like I mean, he hasn't had much Ed- to do, but I think they would miss him a lot if he wasn't available, to I, put it that way. I, well, that, that depends on who they're replacing him with. Like, in the grand scheme of things, Ederson needs to be a bit better at shot-stopping. That, that's that's my only gripe. I feel like for as phenomenal as he is at other things and, and, and how he was billed, he's had some problems stopping shots that should not have gone in. He's had some problems making decisions. Like, Ederson coming out against Sun is the reason Sun gets that first goal. It's the entire reason that happens. Like, that that goal is on Ederson and has been on Ederson. Ederson also made a couple of mistakes in the return game against Tottenham. He's he's doing some great things, but Ederson is absolutely not a guy that has to be on the first. He he has to be on the field for me. Like, he doesn't belong being mentioned in the same sentence as Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling right now. Their form is just out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, no, you're right. But I also think that. You know, it does depend on who would replace him, but there's not a lot of other goalkeepers. No, not on do. City squad right now. Or really any. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful, but not not. I not mean, City. I I don't I don't know how good Murich really is. You know, <laughs> I mean? not that good. I don't think. Um, that that's really only the point I was trying to make is that what he can bring, and and I think when you have a goalkeeper like Ederson, it's <laughs> going to be. This is more every so often you're going to you're going to see a mistake. This is something that I'm bitching about, and that he's not really going to correct this year. He's got to put in the time this Mm -hmm. off season to sort of become a better shot stopper. It's just inevitably, and I think his shot stopping has been fairly good for most of his city career. There are dips, but I also think that you know when you play that high risk style inherently you're going to get burned every once in a while it's just a shame that it, he got burned in, in a really bad spot to get burned in yeah i mean it's just one of those things where i, I mean city don't like i said they don't have anybody better they're certainly not going to put anybody out there so yeah of course by virtue of that fact he is a first name on the team sheet but if city had a backup that could say push um, you know, uh, Ederson to be a better shot stopper, like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for me. That's all. And hopefully he gets better. He's not bad, but but his decision making and shot stopping skills could. And he's young, so he is. And he's had plenty. He's really good in the uh, the league game against Tottenham. Yeah, so things ebb, ebb and flow. Um. Let's talk about the um, the enforced tactical change in the second half when Fernandinho had to go off. Wasn't himself um, really for much of that game. And I also... The, the, I have a point to make about Ilkay Gundogan, um, and, and I'm not sure if either of you feel the same way about this, but when they bought Gundogan... And I know it's kind of a, a foolish thing to assign these traditional numerical roles to a Pep Guardiola team, but I just I, I envisioned him as being bought to play the number six at the base of midfield, 
he can do other things, and he has been asked to do a lot of other things in his time at City, but his all of his best performances, including the second half of United, have come when he's pushed back at the base of that midfield, um, playing in that number six position. Um, and... Yeah, I know he's in, he's gotten he's got a contractual situation that may well see him leave the club this summer, which I think would be a shame because he's really grown. No, uh, he's get, he's 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 but, gone. But, he's already stated he won't be signing a new contract. Pep Pep gave that little bit of information. He said Gundogan will not be re-signing, so he's gone. <laughs> Life changes, but yeah. I, 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 I mean, we all yeah, to go and the signs the signs are not good. Um, no, no, we we all knew he was going to go join back up with Klopp at some time. Like, not if City have a say in who they sell him to. Um, but more, you know, to the point. I, I just this is one of those things where I think that Fernandinho and Gundogan can coexist on the field together, but I think that one of them is going to be worse off for it, and it's usually going to be Gundogan who's played further forward. I thought he was a huge... I thought he was a big part of why the second half performance improved, as well as the introduction of Leroy Sané. Um, and, 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 and people have been begging for Leroy Sané for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I, in my infinite wisdom at halftime, pointed out um, on, on Twitter, I said, Look, I'm all for introducing Sané, but I think he should be more involved in the start because the number of games that he has changed as a substitute is a lot smaller than the number of games it feels like people think he's changed as a substitute. And then he came on and changed the game as a substitute. <laughs> um, but, so I guess, I guess I've, tried, I've kind of morphed this into a, into a two-fold question. Is it, for, and I will again start with Richard. Um... Was this largely down to Sané? Was this partially down to sort of the reshuffling in midfield that, that sent Bernardo Silva further back and sent Gundogan further back when Fernandinho went off? Um, has And with that performance, has Leroy Sané made a bit of a case for himself that perhaps some of the critics have been right and perhaps he should be seeing more minutes from the start of games as opposed to... He's sort of been used sparingly, and I know there's a lot at play behind the scenes there that we don't see between him and Guardiola, so I I add that context to it. But um, three games left, um, you're going to be facing, and I know we'll, we'll preview the Burnley game more in depth, but you're going to be likely facing a low block at Burnley. Um, is this something that should be playing into Guardiola's mind at this point? Yeah, I mean... Sané is a really interesting case because he is phenomenally talented, like phenomenally. I, I personally think that, and, and I don't think this is like a massively insightful thing to say, but I, I think that there is potential in there to be a world's best player if his development continues as it could do on the talent that he's got. I genuinely think there's, there's potentially there to be the best player in the world. Um, there are shades, not so much in the last few months, but I've seen at times in his development shades of a young Ronaldo where his physicality has increased, his ability to take the game by the scruff of the neck has increased, his, um, that tenacity of just running 
at the opposition and frightening them and dragging the team through. He, the amount of times he did that at the end of last season was incredible. Um, and he was getting better and better at playing through the centre. And then Pep has made it quite clear this year that he doesn't see Sané as, um, as, as being a player, um, as being a central player. He thinks he's much better out wide. And, I'd, you know, I'd obviously agree that he is better out wide. But... Um, I think he can develop into a player who can play through the middle. The problem that you have, that, that any player has at City, is that if you don't establish yourself like those two that we were talking about earlier in Bernardo and Sterling, if you don't establish yourself as completely undroppable, then you can fall out of favour or seemingly out of favour very, very quickly. Because for all the you know, I, I want Sané to start more games. There's been matches where I've thought, like, why would today not be the one where you start him? But then I think, well, why would this be the game where you take Sterling out? And Sterling has really improved on the left. Um, I used to not look forward to seeing him there. But ever since the 6-0 against Chelsea, he has been phenomenal on the left-hand side. And he's winning games, he's deciding games. Bernardo Silva, is he better out wide than Sané at his best? Probably not, but do you lose anything for having Bernardo Silva out wide and making room to get David Silva and a fit De Bruyne in there? Well, no, that's a, a very good way to go. And so then you left, are you going to force him into the middle and take out David Silva or De Bruyne or, you know, even Gundogan if he plays higher up, it's not his best position, but he's also is an option there. Um, remember last year at home when we took Spurs apart last season in the 4-1 um, was arguably Gundogan's best game for us and he played the David Silva role in that game um, so Sané for as good as he is he's not um, he's not brilliant in a vacuum he's brilliant in a squad of other brilliant footballers and so it's not just should Sané be starting more you then have to say well who plays less games to allow for that and at the moment City have won every league game that they've played, I think, since... It, um, I might be forgetting a draw in here somewhere. But City, City are in, you know, they're in great winning form. They've not lost a league game since that horrible night at Newcastle. Um, those, and, just to add, just to clarify, those are the last points they dropped in the league. Right, I thought so, and then doubting yeah. myself, as I said. They, they haven't um, dropped any sense. So it's hard to argue with the team selection when when that's happening. Then, obviously, you break it down to an individual player's development and you look at where Sané was last season. He won the PFA Young Player of the Year and where he is now, where he's struggling to start games. Um, obviously, we'd like Sané to be a key player for the very, very long term. And to do that, he needs to be playing to develop himself. Um, it's a very, very hard balance to strike for Guardiola, I think. Um I trust that he knows, and, and you did allude to, you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I trust that he knows how to man-manage his players. Um, there's been there's been a few players who he's been a little bit hard on with some of his public statements. He, he still makes a point of whenever he talks about Sterling, he'll still quite regularly talk about how he can improve. Um, you know, he'll, he'll give the praise and then say, but he, he wasn't perfect. I remember when he scored his hat-trick against Watford and Guardiola said, well... Yeah, his second half was good, but did you not see his first half? There's still so much more to do. And it's like with Sané, he does that and then and then a bit more. He's always stressing that, the importance of his work rate. And if Sané lacks anything, it is that running back. But he did it against United on Wednesday night, and he was all the better for it. So 
if he puts the work in and plays to his best, he will play more games. Whether he starts in the last three games or not, I don't know. And the only bit where I would, I don't know if I'd say take issue with Pep because he, you know, he, he just forgot more about football and tactics and team selection than, than I could ever wish to know. Um, I always, I, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna pull him aside and give him a tactical talk. Exactly. exactly. But I always, I, I do sometimes wonder when Mares gets the nod ahead of Sané. Like, well, what but does dude, the do? world wonders when Mares gets the yeah. nod ahead of anybody? But even then, at some point, they're either going to have to cut the losses or try and get Mares to justify the outlay on him. They can't just leave him on the bench every game when they spent sixty million on him and then say, "Well, he's not doing it." At some point, he has to be given a chance to prove himself. So. Um, you know, even that, if it's a choice between, if they're the two fringe wide players, then Pep almost has to alternate them and make sure that they get an equal chance, because otherwise you're damning somebody without really giving them the opportunity. So I just, I think it's very, very tough. And I want Sané to start a lot more, but then when you really break it down into who do you take out, I just think it gets a lot, lot harder then to, to really work out where he plays Josh, before I turn the Sané topic over to you, I believe he's at uh, 10 goals, 10 assists on the season, which for a guy who, you know, hasn't really played a lot since the turn of the new year, I know he played, he scored the winner in the Liverpool game. Uh, he's actually got 20 goals and 20 assists across all competitions. He and Raheem Sterling are the only two players in the Premier League with 20 goals and 20 assists across all competition. I, I I will say. Um, so he's not even having a good year, and he's still like. Yeah, if anything, this only solidifies what Richard is saying. Mm-hmm. He's not even doing the business as we as we've had some fun with on this podcast, and he's still one of two players in the Premier League with twenty goals and twenty assists across all competitions. The other being his teammate. And he's not even starting. Yeah, 18 and 14 and all. Okay, yeah. So, uh, I, the, 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 point I, the point I would make that I think has been a problem for Sané is that of, 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 of City's attacking options, you can make the argument that he's the least consistent. And I think that one of the things that Guardiola wants, and one of the reasons that he sometimes picks Mares is that, you know, We've complained endlessly about Riyad Mahrez on this podcast, on Twitter, basically to anyone who will listen to us, and some people who won't, like like the uh, like like the the strange following on Twitter that follows him around, um, that come into my mentions on a regular basis. Um, I think that sometimes he gets picked because Guardiola knows that he'll get tracking back out of Riyad Mahrez, and I don't think he feels that he can 100% count on that all the time when he picks Leroy Sané. When Leroy Sané starts a game, you can tell basically within a half hour if he's on it or not. He's one of those players that you you can tell if, okay, he's got it today or this is going to be a total waste of an afternoon from Leroy Sané. And I think that's one of the predominant factors that frustrates Pep, and I think that's perhaps the big thing that he needs to correct if he wants to state his claim for more playing time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, consistency is is definitely what he wants to see. Um, but it's crazy that, like I said, he's not even having that great of a year. And, and like that, that tweet just popped up on my timeline 
yesterday, I was like, crap, and I didn't even think Sané was having a good year. Uh, apparently, he is. Um, so it, it's – I guess it's scary to think of what Sané could be if he were more consistent, right? Like Raheem Sterling has become consistent, and he's at where he's at. If Sané becomes consistent, like, holy crap, he would be at a different level. Like, as good as Raheem Sterling is, it is entirely possible that Leroy Sané could, could be even better. And that's, and that's, like, that doesn't even count the baseline that Leroy started with as a shooter. Like, Leroy was already able to do some absolutely insane things in terms of shot selection, uh, it, it, it just just the one goal from God, I can't even remember who it was against, but, but Gray, you know the one I'm talking about, man, <laughs> where, he, where he takes the touch up high, brings it down, and then just chuffs it in at the bottom of his foot. Um, he's just got insane. Might be, might be Crystal Palace last season. I think. It was it was one of the most impressive goals I've ever seen. Um, and, and Sané, of course, is, is the one that pulled it off. Um, you say he's got ability, man. Like he's got this natural ability. He just needs to be more consistent. And and I totally get starting Mares because you do have to justify that layout. <clears throat> but I think I say this as somebody who is sick and tired of Mares. I don't want to see him start in the, any one of the last three games. I just don't. There's no reason for for Mares to start again this season. I think it's this is actually a good a good time to transition into the Burnley game. Um, as we sit here recording this, Liverpool are up three 0 at halftime against Huddersfield. Not that any help was ever going to come from Huddersfield, but just in case you were wondering, it's not happening. Um, yeah, so basically, again, as we all expected, City have to basically. We're, we're, we're treating this as City have to win three out of three, um, and there's no reason to treat it as anything else. Um, the away trip to Burnley is a game that I am terrified of. Um, City did not win there last year. They sh- arguably should have, because that was the game that Raheem Sterling missed a golden chance to go up 2-0, missed it, and then moments later, Burnley immediately equalized, and it ended up 1-1 at Turf Moor. Um, they did win there in Guardiola's first season, and they have repeatedly beaten them up at home, which is always going to be a different proposition. Um, I believe they have two 5-0 wins at home against them this season alone. Yeah, uh, they have. Just can I come in there? Just if you, I'm going to give you three reasons for confidence, and I'll, I'll give you this one now just because it fits with what you've just said. Um, or at least two reasons for confidence. Um, City currently have the same aggregate score against Burnley this season as they have against Burton Albion. <laughs> So, you know, okay, they've, that they've, they've hammered they've hammered Burnley this season. <laughs> that that is true. Wasn't it something like seven or eight? They beat them last time like five nothing. Yeah, two two five nils. It's been great. Yeah, mm-hmm. ten ten nil. So, <laughs> I mean, what's the second reason? Oh, okay. Um, the the game that I would say is most comparable in the Premier League to Burnley away um, and feel free to disagree but I think in terms of playing style um, sort of 
even the, the atmosphere generated by the home crowd, um, management style, everything. The most comparable game to Burnley away is Crystal Palace away. Oh, I uh, going to say that. Yeah, and, I had the exact same thought. <laughs> yeah, and even that bears out last season. The two of City's hardest away games last season, when you take out the obvious, you know, the defeat at Liverpool. Um, the they struggled at Burnley. Okay, like you say, they should have gone two 0 up. Sterling should have finished that game. But at the end of that game, as I recall it, Burnley were in the ascendancy. City were struggling to live with that sort of physicality a bit, um, and then. Palace away last season, they drew nil-nil and by right should have got beat at the end. It was only thanks to an Edison penalty save that they didn't. Um, City reversed that a few weeks ago. They went to Palace and had a much easier time of it than last season. You knew from the opening minutes that they were on it that day. Sterling missed an easy chance in that one, but instead of losing his head, he came back and scored the two most important goals instead. Um, If they were to repeat that kind of performance against Burnley they won't have any problems. If they repeat that kind of performance against anybody in the Premier League, City won't have any problems. Um, that's not to say that I'm not nervous about this game uh, and not to preempt anything that you were, you were going to say, Gray. But um, I think a sense where you were going with it, and you did use the word terrified. Um, I, I've had this game earmarked for weeks is the one where I thought it, it could potentially be City's undoing. Um just the sheer number of wins it would take back to back from that defeat in January to win every game to the end of the season um, or February, whenever the Newcastle defeat was. It's so unlikely that it still feels like even though our three games on paper, Alonso should win. When you look at the bigger picture, winning that number of games back to back just seems so difficult. Um, and Burnley seems like the the one left where they could really, really slip up because even a draw at this stage, we can't afford it. Yeah. Um, but, We've been in absolutely wonderful form. We've bounced back reasonably well from the uh, the dismay of the Champions League knockout. So just some reasons for confidence for you there. Um, if you want a reason to not be confident and for me to undo that, uh, in each of their Premier League seasons, Burnley have beaten uh, the reigning Premier League champions at least once. <laughs> so Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Although for context, one of those was Chelsea last season who were not like a champion you know, like they were defending champions, and the other one was Leicester, who were okay. in, back, in a relegation that, that, fight. That helps too. Um, yeah. Yeah, part of my worry comes from the fact that they're actually in, in very good form right now. They have they're unbeaten four. They had won three in a row going to Chelsea, at which point they they took a two two at Chelsea. Um, although, again, Chelsea this season are about as as well. I would say as hit and miss as a top six club could be, but they've got so much company in in terms of Arsenal and United that I guess that's not really true. But um, they're coming in a good form, and it's the exact sort of game where it it gets annoyingly tough Um, because they are a team, you know, at the end of the season you like to play teams that are just like either completely floundering or maybe don't really have an identity. Burnley know what they're going to do, and they know how to do what they're going to try to do. Um, and, and, and whether it works or not, it might not, it very well easily could not. I mean, City feels like if City get one goal, then, you know, things suddenly get rather tough for Burnley, but, um, this sounds harsh, but you never like to play a team with a coherent game plan (laughs) and Burnley do have one. Um, um, you know, they're not. They're not heavy scorers. They don't. They're not going to score a lot of goals. I know they, they're coming off two at Chelsea. They scored three at Bournemouth. But you know, 
the thing is, is part of that three-game winning streak, they beat Wolves at home, which is rather impressive, but one was at Bournemouth, and one was at home to Cardiff, who may well be going down. So there's some impressive results in there, and then there's some that are like, well, yeah, I can actually see how anyone would be beating um, be- beating, beating that side. Um one other reason it gives me hope is that maybe they'll just be a little bit mentally off it because they are all but safe. I'm not, I don't think they're mathematically safe right now, but they are at 40 points. It's really, really tough to see because, because them going down basically relies on um, Burnley shipping a lot of goals really fast and Cardiff suddenly becoming the hottest team in England, which doesn't seem likely. So they are, for all intents and purposes safe from relegation. And while not mathematically, you just sort of hope that, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe they'll just be a little bit off. That's happened before. They're, <clears throat> they're chilling. I really think they're chilling in that zone where they've got nothing to play for. Like, I mean, they could overtake Bournemouth, you know, maybe even Newcastle. Yeah, but, but, like, yeah. I, I mean... Dallas. And what does that net them? You know, like it's not like they're going to move into uh, top seven. It's it's just it's not going to happen. Mathematically, it cannot happen. Uh, So they're not going to get relegated. They can't even I mean, they can get in the top half, but that would, again, take a lot of teams losing and them winning out. So right, right. The, the most half. they can the most they can put on is 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 what uh, forty nine points, and and Leicester are on forty eight right now. Everton minus eighteen goal difference. Everton are on forty nine right now. So assuming Everton don't win another game this entire season, they could theoretically tie with Everton. But that's the best they can do. Basically, we're uh, into fanciful nonsense here. Yeah, we are. We are. We're, we're into fanciful nonsense. But all of that is to say th- they're a team with a coherent game plan that doesn't have anything to play for. Like, this is the part of the season when some players are planning their trips to, you know, Mallorca and and, and the like. And, and, and you've just – you've got one foot on the pitch and one foot out the door if you're one of these teams. And, and – and it makes sense, you know, like why injure yourself going into the end of your year? You know, nobody wants to be injured heading into the off part of the year because <clears throat> that means nothing but rehab. So they're not trying to injure themselves. They're not. I, I just if you want hope, I, I'm trying to provide it, I guess. All of that is to say that. I want to assess, and I'm not going to go through pick each pick the lineup because I don't really care to do that, and I think most of it's pretty obvious. But City have some injury issues that may or may not be a problem for the weekend, and um, obviously we know De Bruyne is not going to play. We 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 knew that already, but um, we there there are Gundogan has an injury. But it sounded to me like he would probably be okay. Um, Fernandinho got picked up the injury against United, and it sounded like they're not sure yet, honestly. He wanted to stay on. But um, basically, City's midfield situation's a bit unclear at the moment. 
And I actually wonder if this will end up in, you know, forcing either Sané or Phil Foden into the 11 this weekend. Um, basically, I'll, uh, again, Richard and then Josh is, is, you know, without going into exactly how you would pick the team, what, what's the what's the approach you would favor against a team like this? Um, that, that's probably, like, like we said earlier, probably going to play a low block, probably going to defend for their lives, are going to be, their threat on the counter is going to be through long balls. Um, like, like Richard said, a bit like Crystal Palace. So I guess my, my question would be what, keeping in, in mind that there is, there is still some lack of clarity again with City's midfield options for the weekend, where, how do you, what's the blueprint for winning this game, basically? Well, I think you need a nice balance of, of magicians and rabbits, right? Um, second balls. And, and, and. You can you can actually use that as literally as you'd like. You you need you need that pace because you're going to want to run them around. You're going to want. I mean, that's the way you're going to break them down. I mean, short of short of a massive defensive error, when teams tend to play in low blocks that know how to defend in low blocks, you, you you're going to want to have that mix up. You're going to want to have guys that can run around. Because uh, that's the way you're going to get your goal is you're going to wear these guys down and then they're going to make a mental mistake. Like it's that, that's how you have to play this game. So I don't know. This actually might be a game where I would start Raheem Sterling and Leroy Son. Richard, um, are you, oh, you're not, oh, sorry. I cut you off. No, I was <laughs> I was just about to say, I know you probably asked about midfield, but. I feel the midfield kind of uh, picks itself right I mean, now. If, if you're playing Sané, then you you've already hinting at, at at what your midfield looks like. Well, yeah, and uh, but, but, but with injuries, the it, the midfield basically picks itself right now. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. too terribly many options. Yeah. So go, go ahead, Richard. Yeah. On, on yeah. The, uh, I here. I think um, just to sort of further the Crystal Palace comparison. One of the things that City really struggled with at Palace and Burnley last year was getting the ball wide. It was getting any kind of width into the game at all. Uh, I think both teams did a really good job of forcing City to be narrow um, and then really, really closing the space in the middle, um, which is, you know, it's a, a very difficult thing to deal with, even for the best players to, to find space where there isn't space is not an easy thing to do. Um, and in fact, our only goal at Burnley last year came from a Danilo wonder strike, which you don't see very often. Um, to take that onto Palace this year, City did a fantastic job of getting the ball wide. And um, what they did have granted in that game was they had Kevin De Bruyne available. And um, probably one of the first games where he really looked back to his very best. Um, but they did, I thought, a, a great job of spreading the play and mixing whether they went through the middle or went wide, and, and Palace really struggled to live with that. I think they have to try and take that approach to Turf Moor as well. If they can if they can force it out wide and spread the play, um, then it's going to be, that's going to be very hard for Burnley to live with. And it means that City have to have the ascendancy Oh, you know, they have to get themselves on the front foot and into the ascendancy very, very early on. If they get an early goal, that that could be pretty killer for Burnley. But the longer it goes on where we're struggling to get the ball wide or where they're closing off that space, the harder it's going to be. 
Um, we've certainly got enough to... Well, Burnley will try and bypass the midfield, won't they? That's the interesting thing with the midfield. They will just go for long balls. And then you said it, it's, it's winning the second ball. So you need somebody who's comfortable deep. If Fernandinho's not available, that's a little bit of a problem. But Gundogan, if he's in the form that he was in in the second half against United, he'll he'll gobble up the loose ball and then spread it. And Bernardo's very good at coming from deep on the counter-attack. So... On, in theory, there's no real obvious reason why this should be a problem for City. They should have, you know, in, Vincent Company has been brought right back to the fore. And although he didn't have a magnificent game on Wednesday, he's got the experience to get through these games. You wouldn't expect Burnley to be, um, you know, famous last words. You wouldn't expect him to be in danger of a red card in this game because it's not like Burnley are going to be running at him at pace and getting him on the back foot. It's just going to be dealing with those high balls and then making sure that the second ball bounces somewhere where you can win it. Um, so, yeah, in short, when we've got the ball, we need to be getting out wide. We need to be spreading that play and, and making that hard for Burnley to live with. Off the ball, we need to be comfortable deep and getting on the counter-attack. And if we can get Bernardo picking the ball up on the second ball or Gundogan getting it to Bernardo, um, I think that's a a recipe for success. Um, and personnel-wise, I think getting the ball wide does mean Sterling and, and Sané in, um, on this occasion. Yeah. Makes perfect sense to me. Um, Pep did hint rather strongly in his press conference today that um, that he would be calling in either either company or Otamendi because they're the... He, this is one of those games that he's learned is less about having the passing options at center back and more about just sort of having that rock back there that can deal with the long balls and the second balls and everything that's going to be flung at them from deep, basically. Um, so that's that's something to brace for. I would imagine he would defer to company if he's fit enough because he has been doing that lately. And um, and, and picking company in the derby, I think, was a statement of, of, of belief that Pep thinks, yeah, as long as you can get through a game fit and healthy, I think you still have something to offer. Now, I think he's right. It's just that that fit and healthy thing has just been such a huge issue over the last few years. Um, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up with the obvious question. Um, and I like the way Richard put it, because at the end I was like, are we overthinking this? Or are we just let them play their game and this is going to work out? Um Richard, then Josh, then me. You don't have to make a score prediction. You can if you want, but I do want you to predict the result. Um, I, even if it's just blind optimism, um, you have to predict City to win this game. I think so. Uh, I will do. Um, I think with the the pressure on, um, they've been through occasions like this before and got through them. Um, although Burnley's always a horrible game. Uh, I I just about, I can't say I feel confident, but when I put logic to it, um, I think City will win this game. And I will give you a score prediction because I don't think it'll be easy. Um, I'm going to go 2-0 City. How? I'm going to say 2-1. To City, I assume. Yeah. Um, I'll go for a scruffy and terrifying 1-0 to City. Um, I think they'll get through it. This is the this is just about the toughest team mentally I think I've, I've seen in, 
in all my years of, of, of watching any of my teams, at least, in any sport. Um, because that what happened in Champions League could have very easily derailed them, but it clearly clearly hasn't, um, considering they, they put two performances in against two top six sides without conceding a goal. Um, yeah. I think I think as long as City score, I think they'll win because it's you can see Burnley maybe sc- scoring like something stupid at some point and but it just doesn't feel super likely they don't really have a lot to offer going forward. Um, all right, um, Richard, I know you do work for the Blue Moon Podcast. I know you you guys take um, subscriptions, donations, whatever you'd like to call them. If you, if you want to talk a little bit about what you guys do and, um, why people should donate because they should donate 100%. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we are, um, you know, as the the name would suggest, we're a dedicated Manchester City podcast, uh, recorded weekly. Um, we, uh, it's always released on a Friday. Um, the host, David Mooney, does a wonderful, wonderful job of getting in uh, a rotating panel of guests. So um, it's not always just me that's on there. Um, we have uh, journalists who specifically cover Manchester City but are um, not necessarily City fans. So it's not always, um, you know, we're, we're pretty objective is what I'm trying to say. Um, and then some weeks it's people who have no journalistic credentials. It's just fans who talk quite well about the game. Um, we get, or, or David gets interviews with players this week. He managed to, to bag a few minutes with Nicholas and Elka and Niall Berkovic uh, for fans who, who maybe span back the last 15 years or so. Um, and then there's the, the, the Patreon um, because we've so far um, managed to avoid um taking advertisement money um which means that david foots a lot of the um a lot of the running costs basically for the podcast um we always do it in studio and so we um we rely a little bit now on people backing us through our patreon um, and for two dollars a month you do also get um you get blogs two blogs a month from me David and then some guest ones. So we had a guy called Sean Blinkhorn this week do a really good blog on the uh, the Youth Cup final that City have just played or semi final. Forgive me, I think it was the final. Um, and yeah, we, there's always additional content as well, a, a 10 to 20 minute extra recording on something sometimes topical, sometimes quite whimsical, um, but they're always fun to do and um, a little bit less formal than the main show um but i should just make clear in that the main podcast is always free to download we'll, we'll never charge for that um but anything that you know if people like it anything that anybody can donate from literally as little as um as two dollars a month we are always very very grateful for because it really helps we have had david's a great guy we've had him on here before more than once and um and we've uh, i was both of us did the Blue Moon podcast once, and Josh actually did it again semi-recently. Um, so we, we obviously we can't recommend it highly enough. Um, Josh, this is where I, I give you your last word for the uh, for the afternoon, if you have one. Yeah, no, um, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have Richard on. Man, I <clears throat> always find myself lost in what he says because he has just such a a great way of of phrasing things uh you really know how to turn a phrase richard it's uh (laughs) i'm not i'm not just saying that man like whenever you talk i just find myself like sucked in i'm like 
British voice explaining things incredibly, I must listen. You know, like it's a it's if Americans are superheroes in any sense, that is our weakness. You know, like we 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 stand a good British guy explaining something to us. So I just want to say, man, thank you very much for uh, for coming on because it was as educational for me as I, I hope it will be for everybody else. And my, my pleasure. Thank you very much Absolutely. for having me. And this Richard did this on fairly short notice. We gave him basically yeah, seventy-two yeah. hours and a lot of juggling due to three time zones and fiascos of not knowing what time zones are which. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you for. I was not going to name any names. <laughs> that might have been me um, but yes we we really appreciate it and um, we thank you for your expertise and your knowledge and your presence and um, we hope to talk to you again sometime yeah no it would be my pleasure I've really enjoyed it thank you thank you so, are you gonna um, go are you gonna go watch Endgame um, I oh I was dreading you bringing this up I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest um, oh, okay yeah. I saw David talking about it, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's not to say that I dislike them. It's just never been my cup of tea. The only one I think I've seen at the pictures of the Marvel films was uh, Black Panther, but that was more because on the whole um, vibe that it picked up amongst the um, you know amongst black people, my fiance really wanted to see it for that reason, um, and I ended up. I must say, I I did enjoy it. For those who don't know, Richard is is in an interrelational relationship. That 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 could have sounded very awkward if you don't know Richard. No, but yeah. sorry, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, my fiance is a black woman, and and she wanted to see it because of the buzz it picked up um, amongst you know I think it, particularly in America, but it was certainly felt here as well. It picked up a bit of a I suppose you call it a bit of a political buzz for that reason. Um, and so we saw that one at the cinema, and I did enjoy it. Um, but it's just, oh God, if I was to go back and start from the beginning, I've got a lot of catching up to do, haven't I? <laughs> you really Richard. do, man. <laughs> Richard, we have him outnumbered for once. This never happened. <laughs> right. It's never great. Great doesn't give two craps about I'm... Marvel either. He's, I mean, he doesn't hate him. That's no. what I find. People don't hate Marvel. They I've just don't it. care. Yeah, it's. it feels like a thing where if you weren't there, if you didn't get, like, sort of, caught up when it was in its infancy right now doing it feels like staring down Mount Kilimanjaro yeah um. <laughs> yeah I mean it, there, there's no getting around that like I think it, it's either you you have a firm handle on the comics but then if you had a firm handle on the comics you wouldn't just now be getting into it so um you either have a firm handle on the comics when you go in and start watching these things late, and that helps you understand it, or you've got 22 films to watch, and that's just... <laughs> that's a lot of movie. That is a lot of movie. Lot and of movie. I just did it, too. Yeah. I just watched all 22, so... <laughs> well, Richard, thank you for coming on. Josh, thank you, as usual. Indeed. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at America Citizens. You can search for us on iTunes. Um, just search for American Citizens. You can subscribe to us there. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio at American Citizens. Um, and thank you for listening. Try not to panic too much this weekend. Um, keep your heart rate calm. Enjoy the game. Um, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>